0: Hi there, everyone. In this week's chat with Ralph, my mate and ex-colleague in the city, we're going to talk about three topics. So firstly, we are going to talk about inflation. Secondly, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and why it's going to go up. And thirdly, we will be talking about how fusion will change the balance of the world. So we're getting philosophical on your Actually, I can't say that word, can I? Um, but anyway, we're all going to get a bit philosophical about that because that could be quite, um, quite incredible. But anyway, um, so let's start off with um, a, t- a bit of talk about uh, inflation. Obviously, it's something that we talk about a lot on this um, on this particular podcast, um, and it looks like uh, infl- I mean, although inflation is is going uh, is still going up. Um, the rate it is going up at seems to be slowing down um but what are what are your thoughts on uh inflation at the moment ralph
1: <laughs> yeah we, we were just talking about it again because uh all eyes are on inflation basically and mm-hmm. if, if if you look at the sort of traditional economist data watching yep this is always happening i mean the economists are always looking at all the data and all the various metrics and there's of course inflation is part of it inflation interest rates jobless figures price of strawberries at wimbledon all this type of stuff is being looked at and then people are trying to find out what that might actually mean in terms of their projections etc we we know this this is nothing new but Mm -hmm. i think currently this one metric, inflation, is all important, and people are looking at inflation more than at anything else. And the reason, yeah. I think, is we are, we're we living in times where everything seems to hang off inflation. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, and then this is, by the way, also why I think that the markets reacted negatively to the news that inflation had not fallen to levels expected mm-hmm. inflation had still fallen which is positive yeah but it hasn't fallen to the expected levels and therefore it hadn't fallen quickly enough yeah and i think the thought process then is this there's a whole chain of events which hangs on that and it's basically okay Inflation hasn't fallen to levels, which we were expecting. It isn't falling quickly enough. Mm. That means inflation is going to be stickier than we thought. And therefore interest rates are not going to fall as quickly as we think. Mm -hmm. Indeed, interest rates are going to be stickier at the current level or indeed have to be increased. That last bit is what the markets were immediately expecting and pricing in. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that inflation is falling and, ooh, that's good news, but not quite as good as we thought. The idea was inflation is falling, but not as quickly. Therefore, interest rates, so this is basically how the markets think, you know, these intermittent steps are not really felt. Inflation is falling quickly enough. Therefore, interest rates are going to be increased again. Mm-hmm. If interest rates are going to be increased it means that mortgage costs are going to be increased which Mm -hmm. means that people are going to have a squeeze on discretionary income which means they can't spend enough in the economy and although this is what we kind of want because we want to fight inflation at the same time it means that growth is not going to be forthcoming Mm. in the economy so that's another metric then which is almost like a domino is kind of falling but growth expectations of the economy will have to be adjusted downwards. Mm. and that's one thing the other thing is we have recently seen a banking crisis it has gone away but it's sort of well, it has not really gone away it's sort of smoldering in the background and we know that the banking crisis will eventually abate um, consistently uh, when interest rates are coming down because mm. interest rates increasing is in fact the issue mm. so again therefore you you, you, you have that particular conclusion, oh, interest rates will have to be increased, that means the pressure on banking is not going to come off, that means we're going to have that particular risk smoldering on in the background, which is also going to be negative. Hmm. And that, I think, all of this reasoning happens instantaneously in the minds of observers in the city of London on Wall Street, in other um, uh, stock exchanges around the world, and that is, I think, why we are getting, we, we're getting share price reactions to inflation news, mm. which may seem disproportionate mm. to the actual event, but they would only be disproportionate, or they would have been disproportionate like 10 years ago, which mm. in a different mm. situation, but now they're, they're not. That's Hmm. kind of what I'm what I'm I'm thinking. It's almost like inflation is punching above its own weight.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, this goes back to what we were saying. I think you know we were saying last time, which is basically that. um, So the UK inflation rates came down. um, It just didn't come down by quite as much um, as as the the Bank of England had expected. Um, And there was an immediate reaction um, by mortgage lenders who whacked up their um, mortgage, you know, immediately whacked up their mortgage rates. Um, And, you know, and then we it looks like um, that has come at the same time or is impacting the um, house prices, which have, you know, we've just seen figures that show that their house prices have come down at, at kind of a record rate. Um, and it just, you know, I mean, f- for me, I mean, well, th- this, th- you know, this is where, where we're getting at, get it, getting at it, I guess, is that um, I wondered, you know, I, I was think I thought that um, it looked to me like the market was overreacting because, um, you know, it looks like we are seeing a replay um, of, of what happened with um, mortgage rates in the aftermath of the trust, the disastrous uh, trust Kuateng mini budget um, announcement. So they announced it and immediately afterwards, um, loads of mortgage products were pulled, intra- uh, rates, uh, mortgage rates were whacked up um, and that had a, a big effect on the real estate market at the time. Yes. Now, I obviously that was a disaster um, and it was destabilizing, however, I kind of, you know, uh, and I was thinking, well, why is it it just seems like we're almost seeing a replay of that this time round, except actually the circumstances aren't quite as bad. But then it seems, you know, from what you're saying that everyone has become so hypersensitive to anything to do with inflation that the, you know, there's like almost instant panic um, and, and almost like a overreaction um going on but yeah it, exactly yeah i mean it is interesting because you know i guess the thing is most people will find talk about inflation pretty boring um you know normally but the problem is is that we are all affected so much by it uh and and how it moves and the bank of england is is so transfixed um by it uh and to bring it under control mm-hmm. that that is also having kind of knock-on effects essentially so yeah
1: yeah, yeah I- I- exactly um you referenced trust quoting no what happened there was of course a, like that was basically a shock to the system a yeah. shock to the economy because yeah reducing taxes and mm-hmm. we're basically saying this is all going to be fantastic Uh, And if you don't do that, then you're a member of the anti-growth coalition, if you remember Mm. that. And uh, yeah, the issue therefore was that markets were expecting and uh, markets and well, markets generally markets in the UK, but also international investors were expecting uh, inflation to spiral. Mm. And in response to that, we saw the adverse market reactions, etc. And so, in essence, this dynamic is exactly the same. Mm. Investors are expecting inflation to be sticky. Now, that mm. doesn't mean spiral, but it's, of course, the same kind of dynamic. And so, therefore, you're you, you right to link it or reference the quoting trust disaster. But that's almost an example of what happened. It's almost like... a. Like an illustrative mm. example for you to understand what happens. If you get a shock to the system, then yeah. uh, then people are inf- expecting inflation to spike and then everything follows. Mm. And it's not going to be as bad as that, but obviously anything which will reduce the rate at which expect inflation is expected to fall mm. is going to have adverse outcomes adverse impacts to Hmm. uh, people's expectations and projections, etc. Yeah. And and then, of course, it's always lumpy, isn't it? I mean, sometimes inflation falls because of an isolated event. Sometimes it goes up because of an isolated event. We had the tomato uh, scare where nobody could afford tomatoes anymore, could actually buy tomatoes. I remember selling them on eBay (laughs) for,
0: Oh, Did you get a good rating yeah, as a tomato yeah. seller?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. I, I I I I I that. rate uh, I Ralph's tomatoes eight out of ten. Um, fantastic delivery, <laughs> but could have could have been juicier or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. The
1: rating so, I got on on the Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> really uh, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, yeah.
1: We, we can probably can move on. Yeah. No, know, fair enough.
0: Fair know. enough. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, tomatoes. No. Anyway, no. Yeah. Um So so the second thing um, really uh, we we thought we, it would be interesting to talk about uh, today is I I just saw this really interesting article. It Was in the Lex column in in, uh, in you know in the FT. And it was talking about like a technical reason why um, Bitcoin could go up. Now, um, so far this year, it's up 67%. um, And there is an event that happens once every four years. And no, it's not the Olympics. And no, it's not the World Cup. This is something else that also happens every four years. Why is it four years? Anyway, um, Anyway, it's called the halving. I mean, this has got nothing to do with um, Lord of the Rings or anything like that. Um, this, is, this is that It sounds like it. It though, does sound it? like it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally. Um, and um, anyway, so there is something called the halving um, that happens every four years. And it means that the rewards for Bitcoin mining are halved. Um, so, yeah, you see what I did there. Um, but anyway i think it it would be a great idea for you to explain this and why you know how how it will work because i think you gave a brilliant explanation when we had a chat earlier on so if you'd like to take it away please ralph
1: it's one of these nerd events it it, it gives me a chance to nerd out in public nice nice Uh, so i hope i get it right i'm not the greatest expert on this of course but basically God, this is so nerdy, unbelievable. Basically, what happens? Bitcoin have said in their original coding that there is going to be a lifetime um, cap on the number of bitcoins that are going to be released, mm-hmm. and that number is twenty one million. So, twenty one million bitcoins are going to be released over the lifetime of the blockchain and that is it we therefore have a finite supply of Bitcoin currently what's in circulation is something like 19 million and so we're not very far away from the uh, event where we have issued Bitcoin to capacity the way this works is that the chief event through which bitcoins are created is bitcoin mining when bitcoin was created i think in 2009 a bitcoin mining uh, operation received 50 that's 50 50 bitcoins for the proof of work and and i mean we We discussed that before we talked about proof of work before. I mean, no prizes for guessing nobody listened because it's <laughs> it's, it's another super nerdy, boring thing. It's worse than inflation and more.
0: <laughs> I tell you, you are selling this so well, this yeah. so well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think people will be frothing at the mouth um at the moment um Absolutely.
1: So, yeah. so just make it quick. That's the thing where, where <laughs> that's the thing where you have. Uh, people, well, what you read in the press is always you have a mathematical equation to solve, and it's a very difficult equation. That's not actually true. There's no mathematics involved in this at all. It's basically the code, and the code is that there are trillions of possibilities for the code, and you have to hit a particular code. And not to be overly technical in this, you can't actually have an analytical shortcut. The computer has to. You type something into the keyboard, so to so to speak. It generates a code, you take a look whether it is the code which the Bitcoin provider has said you need to get, and that's how it works. Type it in, take a look, it's not the code. Type it in, take a look, it's not the code. And that is how you do it, one by one by one. Obviously, you don't do this as a person, you you, you have computers which are configured to do just that, just one thing, and that is to go through all possible permutations of the code very, very quickly. Obviously they do tens of thousands of these per second. And finally they will hit the code. When they hit the code, that is then published on the block, and that is known as proof of work because you've done the work. Mm -hmm. When you hit the code and publish proof of work, you are awarded the Bitcoin award for mm-hmm. it. And that Bitcoin award used to be 550 Bitcoins when it uh, was first launched in 2009. And since then, this is now the halving. Um, I find this word very amusing. This is now the halving. <laughs> so since then, every four years, I, I don't know why it's four years. That's just been chosen in the original coding of the software every 4 years that particular bitcoin award well is divided by 2 so after up in 2013 it would have been 25 bitcoins etc we are currently at 6.25 i believe and that is going to halve again uh, to 3.13 i think next year now and now we're going to do some mathematics this is going to be cool um, the Everybody's switching off. Fantastic. What are you talking about?
0: <laughs> <are>. <laughs> a, we're, okay. I tell you what. I like this. I'm right on the edge of my seat. So Surely. yeah,
1: yeah. So, get... Basically, it it, it it works like this. the The, the Bitcoin awards historically in two thousand in two thousand nine. You were awarded fifty bitcoins for a block of two hundred and ten thousand. So remember, twenty one million is the overall lifetime capacity cap. There are not going to be more than 21 billion Bitcoins in circulation. You were awarded 50 Bitcoins for a block of 210,000. This halves every four years. Every four years. Now let's do the math. So I'm going to write it into the air. So You got <laughs> 50, which we factor out 50 times one plus one half plus one over two to the square plus one over two to the three plus one over two to the four you see what's developing here it's a geometrical series yeah trust me for saying that if you sum that thing in brackets one plus one over half plus one Mm. over two etc blah blah that sums if it was a uh, an infinite series sums exactly to two Mm -hmm. and so here you go 50 times two is a hundred per 210,000 blocks times 210,000 is 21 million. million. That's where this comes from. That is where, where we, and and currently we are at 19 million because we've seen whatever four, six halvings or something so far. And that's just an explanation of where this cryptic dynamic comes from. Mm -hmm. So, um, So what are the economics of this? And I find this quite intriguing actually, because you need to remember that the proof of work is generated by banks and banks of parallel processors and parallel computers, which do just that one thing. And the electricity, which is consumed in that is enormous. So enormous indeed that currently the electricity cost associated with the mining of one Bitcoin is $10,000. But the price of a bitcoin currently is $20,000. Currently, a bitcoin, currently the block award is 6 and a quarter bitcoins. So you get something like 6 times 20,000 if you get the proof of work, so you get 120,000, but you're expensing $30,000 in the process. So you get $90,000 and this is cool, <laughs> but obviously say two years ago, electricity costs were less than a half of what they're now. Bitcoin was worth 40,000. So I'm not going to go through the arithmetic here, but you can see that the margins were much higher. you got a higher bit. You, you, you got a higher block award and the associated mining costs were much lower. So now what is going to happen next year, electricity costs are now falling, sure, but they're not falling by a factor of two. So the block award halves, but the electricity costs are not going to half. In other words, the margins are not going to increase. If your margin is not going to increase, a lot of players in the Bitcoin mining industry are just not going to bother because Mm. they can't actually make it work economically so the marginal bitcoin miner disappears they don't go bankrupt as such because they're not companies in that in in that sense but they're just stopping they're ceasing their activity and so they they have disappeared because they have disappeared the field of miners is now less so there is a bigger chance for those who are still active to actually hit the code mm. in the awarded block time, because mm. you only have 10 minutes to do this. If mm. you don't get this done in 10 minutes, if you don't hit the right code, then you can start again. And so there is a complicated economical and behavioral interplay at work. And so that is, I think, why, Bitcoin tends to increase at the halving event. This is not something which is intuitively obvious, because at the mm. halving event, the, the the supply of Bitcoin increases. Mm. So if the supply increases, the price should go down, not up. But I think it's this particular interplay that uh, that there is some some marginal. But the 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 community of mining mining players who find it. Um, economically lucrative to be in the game reduces commensurately the chances for you to actually make money within the uh, within the block time increases and so therefore you get increased activity increased uh, increased earnings and that is why that tends to happen if you do look at the share price development of not share price at the at the valuation of, of Bitcoin, it, it's not exactly obvious that this happens, by the way, at the halving event every four years. There, there's some evidence, but it's not that that clear. But anyway, so I just wanted to present the the sort of um, technical and economic dynamics behind the mining, because I I think, I think it's actually quite an interesting process. It's uh, there's a lot more behind it than meets the eye, I think.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's a really good explanation. And I would say to anyone who is listening to this or watching this, I would say if you're a little bit still a bit kind of doubtful on this or not quite done this, I'd listen to what Ralph has said again. Right. Because, you know, like rewind and go back again, because it it really is a very it makes a lot of sense. And I think that once you understand this, I think that this will be very useful um you know cool. uh in I terms so. yeah so it is very good um right okay so let's let's go on to the third topic um so we are going to well i'll start off by talking about one of the the um yeah how i thought about this kind of fusion uh question and how it's going to change the world so it started off with um as usual loads of um news about Artificial intelligence this week, um, and it was it it was particularly pertinent because we saw that Nvidia, um, whose whose chips power um, the uh, you know computers that um, are responsible for um, powering up AI. Um, the thing so you know the, the the nvidia reached a um market capitalization of 1 trillion dollars this week and that is largely because of the recent surge um in its share price because it is so closely associated with the fortunes of ai it's so interesting because Nvidia. If you don't ask anyone, say a year or two ago, what you know, what would you think of Nvidia? Everyone would say all well, gaming chips, but now it's actually changed, or it is changing now, um, uh, to to be an AI uh, kind of focused company, or that's how it's certainly perceived. Anyway, the point is is that um, all this AI stuff it requires lots of computing power. The computing power is in data centers. Uh, And data centers, each data center can sometimes take around the same, uh, um, sort of suck up the same amount of electricity as 50,000 homes. Mm -hmm. Now, if we assume that we are on relatively the beginning of the journey of AI, um, my argument is that they're going to have to be more data centers. And if there are more data centers, they're going to need more electricity. And how are we going to cope with that? Now, I, you know, putting it together with other recent themes where we've talked about um, Helion Energy signing a deal with Microsoft or the other way around, whatever, um, where they were going to be supplying Microsoft with a certain amount of um, fusion generated electricity by 2028. Now, this is um and i remember we said this at the time this is absolutely massive um this is a development which we thought was going to be a decade or decades away but it really seems that um things have, have heated up quite significantly now i would suggest um i would suggest that this is um uh y- y- you know this this expansion is going to need a lot obviously a lot of electricity and i thought fusion um could be a good way um of of powering all this all this stuff and although it still seems like it's years away i just wondered what the effect would be if fusion really was commercially viable within a a relative you know Five years or ten years or something like that and I really thought that it would upset the balance of the world um, and I thought you know because i I think when these kinds of things when I think about these kinds of things I sort of t- try and start with the the broad kind of uh, thought process at the top and then try and come down um, to individual industries and, and companies um, and I as a starter, I would have thought that this is going to mean that countries that are net oil importers are going to suddenly become more powerful overnight because they will not rely so much on getting oil. Um, conversely, the members of OPEC will suffer considerably. Um, and there will be consequences to that so well starting off with that i guess ralph you know what 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 are your thoughts on 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 it
1: yeah it's an an immensely rich subject this and and very difficult of course to properly analyze what what might um what might happen because of such it's so involved there's so many aspects of this um let me perhaps start with just outlining the future need of electricity. And we've basically that just follows on very nicely from what we've just talked about in the context of Bitcoin, which uh, consumes a truckload of electricity just for the mining of the proof of work now it seems to me that consumption of truckloads of electricity that's the sort of catchphrase here because that's going to be the hallmark of lots of industries which are currently um, in which are currently building which are currently in the making you've mentioned one obvious one which is artificial intelligence the current impact of artificial of of AI in the sort of world which we know are LLMs, large language models like Mm -hmm. uh, GPT, and everybody has them now. There's a real race going on. Google, Facebook, TikTok. Everybody has things like that in the making or has already um, launched them. And if you think about what that involves, it is just absolutely mind boggling. The amount of processing power which is necessary to enable something like ChatGPT is astounding. Um, because it's, in, it's basically in the end something like a neural network which has got, I think, 20 billion parameters. That's like a linear equation with 20 billion parameters. And all of these parameters are fine-tuned in order to get the result which you need. So it filters through the neural network. It gets you a result that is compared with what you want. And then there's something called backpropagation where each of these things is minutely adjusted and then compared again with the with the result, and the error function is minimized until you get what you want. That is happening when we're using ChatGPT. That's happening when we're using MidJourney or any other of the LLMs which are currently out there. And you can imagine the immense amount of electricity which that consumes. Mm. And it's not just GPT, as I said. It's everybody has them now: Google, Facebook, etc. So that's one thing. The second one is actually, interestingly, fusion energy itself needs an immensely powerful backdrop or envelope of IT technology, which enables it. We, we discussed uh, the uh, impact or the um, the plans of he- Helion in the last episode, and you just referenced them again what they're trying to do would just not have been possible 10 years ago. So so that itself will consume energy. Uh, Data centers you mentioned, um, blockchain probably as well, to the extent that they are actually going to stick with the slightly old fashioned proof of work um, concept. Electric vehicles, of course, batteries. I mean, the amount of electricity which the world is going to use, I think is going to exponentially increase. And it has to come from somewhere. And if fusion was in fact, um, if fusion is going to exert itself as a commercially viable proposition, as early as five years from now, that will transform the societies and the economies which are carrying this type of technology. Um, So to your point now, who are the winners and who are the losers? Yeah, you would think absolutely that net importers of oil must be winners, but there's, there's one other thing there, isn't there? We can't just replace oil with electricity. And somewhere in, in in some industries, this is of course going to be possible. We're going to be able to replace fossil fuels with electricity, for example, in the in in the sector of electric vehicles. But some uh, industries are going to rely on oil. So it's not just who is the net importer of oil; it's also which industries can be switched from oil to electricity in a time where electricity production is abundant and where we can basically get this for future. Um, but so these, these are sort of my, my, my initial thoughts on, on mm. this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would be so transformational. I mean, I was, I was just thinking that, um, another, another massive, you, you know, future user of electricity is going to be everyone switching to electric vehicles um oh, good, yeah. you know oh, and exactly. so all of all of this stuff i mean in some ways oh sorry in many ways really i mean, i guess the ukraine war has really woken everyone up and made made everyone realize that they need to be more energy uh independent mm-hmm. and as a sort of extension of that um that has meant that you know there's been more effort more money poured into different you know alternative sources of energy um, and therefore that's probably one of the reasons why um, you've got helion energy is confident enough to sign a contract with you know to supply Microsoft mm-hmm. so um, yeah I mean I, I I just I just think that that this is a this is a huge you know a huge theme and <laughs> No 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 it's, I mean it's it's a, it's a, it's a potentially it's a huge theme and it, I think it is something that we all need to start thinking about and how how it's going to change the world what the world is going to look like um in in that I mean we you know we were saying that potentially in the middle east this could be very destabilizing um mm-hmm. and then you could have china coming along and 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 trying to galvanize um the region etc but I mean what what other think you know what other thoughts do you have
1: well absolutely um first of all of course what we need to see is that the fusion technology is going to be available at scale you know helion we discussed it i'm massively excited about it it's it's very interesting that there's a company now stepping up to the plate and actually saying okay in five years time we are guaranteeing that we are going to produce Fusion based electricity. And if we are not, then we're going to pay you guys a fine. <laughs> you guys being Microsoft. Mm. Uh, so so that is an actionable, tangible promise, which is different from all the other scientific um, proof of concept uh, the breakthroughs which we've seen which are important in themselves. but this is more more tangible. So it might happen. But if it were to happen in 2028, it is still not at scale. But if we get to a scale, to a scale event that, let's say 50% inventing something of the UK. Demand for electricity is being produced through fusion. That's the sort of order of magnitude, which I think will change political. Um. The political balance of power in the world. Because the providers of oil, I mean, the OPEC countries, the Middle East countries, they won't disappear, they will still be important because as I said before, you can't just switch all oil producing or oil consuming industries into electricity. But of course, the influence will wane and will become less important. Now, well, if you look at the OPEC economies, let's say, maybe 30, 40 years ago, the diversification of the economy was almost non-existent. I think it's about like 70 to 80% of total GDP was generated from oil production. Now that has improved, but it's still a chunk, still 40 to 50% or so. So if these economies are going to have to accept, less export of oil, the overall GDP of these economies will suffer materially. As they, as it suffers, the ruling classes are going to have a lot less economic wealth and commensurately a lot less political influence or stranglehold on their societies. So I would not be surprised to see at that time some form of civil unrest Uh, revolutions happening in these countries. Let's remember something like the Arab Spring was generated, was fueled by the price of bread going up. Now it hasn't resulted in large scale revolutions, but it has resulted in the replacement of some regimes in the region. So that's something which we are going to see, I believe. If I spin this further, at that moment, the Middle Eastern economies, the Middle Eastern countries will have lost some of their significance and they will therefore have to start looking for potent allies. Who is going to be the one clear winner of this? It's China because China is also going to be able to develop fusion technology, is indeed already one of the leading economies doing this. So they will have fusion technology. And as we know, China is currently emancipating itself, is is moving towards establishing itself as the leader of the autocratic world. So I'm thinking that if, just on, on the broad brush strokes of this, if we get to, scale events of fusion produce electricity in most of the free world countries and certainly in china then i would not be surprised to see the current evolution towards a two-block world divided between almost digital a digital world divided between two blocks the autocratic world led by china and the free world led by the us and 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 uh, one would think um increasingly important european union hmm.
0: yeah i mean yeah tr- like i say tremendous subject it's something that you know i, I did wonder uh you know it was, came up in conversation um, last night, and uh, it just made me think, you know, what would happen, you know, mm. and it, you know, the impact would be huge, is the conclusion of that. But I do think, you know, hopefully, um, you know, listeners, watch, you know, people who are watching this video, um, hopefully that gives you some food for thought and, you know, maybe try and think yourself of, of, of you know, what could happen, what would be the effect on OPEC, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And what would happen again in a world where, God, this sounds like a, some sort of movie trailer, in a world with uh, cheap electricity, then something happens. Um, but you just think, what would what would actually happen if electricity cost next to nothing? How would our lives change? You know, it would be pretty amazing. So, um, So, yeah. Anyway. Uh I think we'll we'll um we'll we'll end on, on that particular note. Um but as always, um thank you very much indeed, Ralph, for your insight uh and brilliant explanations. <laughs> well so, they are, I don't know. I'm doing my no, best. <laughs> no, it's good, it's all good. And I think really you need to explain your t shirt essentially. So anyone <laughs> who's not actually watching this as a video um, you have a skull and crossbones and on, uh, above the skull and crossbones there's no falls and then underneath the skull and crossbones it says no balls. Um, so uh, please uh, an explanation.
1: Might it be football teams related to balls? I Maybe. Know. I don't know. No, this is a t-shirt which I bought in Vail when I was downhill biking. God, and
0: you're a nutter.
1: <laughs>
0: you need uh, to be pretty insane to do downhill biking it's Did...
1: awesome it's the best mm. thing it's the best thing after skiing i tell you absolutely right mm. insane the adrenaline yeah. is pumping it's absolutely brilliant and so obviously the t-shirt would suggest that if one is not sufficiently vigorous in <laughs> one's attempts to hurt oneself then one is a wimp. <laughs> right okay now I yeah. just like the idea, but then, of course, having hurt my knee in my skiing accident like uh, a yeah. year ago, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm less inclined to follow my own, <laughs> yeah. my own advice. But, yes. but it's cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, it's
0: cool. very nice. It's, it's all very good. It. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> no, Skull and I have to say,
1: Anybody, anybody who's not been done, uh, who's never done downhill biking, it, it's it's brilliant. Do
0: yeah, do. Go out,
1: I find a bike park. And yeah, just don't
0: you need you need armour and stuff like that, don't you?
1: Yeah, it's it's best. It's, it's really,
0: <laughs> you, it's, you don't want to be going down in there in your skimpy lycra. And
1: uh, your age you don't, but if you, actually, yeah. I, I often go to the Whistler Bike Park. Yeah. And. Um, it's a young demography, which does it. I mean, when mm. I enter the bike park, the average age goes down by like a factor of 20 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I mean, most people are indeed uh, 16 to 20, 25 years old or whatever. Yeah. And these guys we all have integral helmets on yeah you do that's have it. to. i mean these guys that's all they have yeah and i and i'm there with just like arm pads and uh, yeah 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 and and uh, body arm i know what yeah
0: of things. <laughs> yeah because i you know i mean in in the days when i used to do a lot of uh road biking and triathlon and all that sort of stuff um there's this there's this particular village um near here called uh Pease lake i think it's called peas lake because there's a difference mm-hmm. there's a village yeah, near here called peas marsh and there's another one called Pease lake and i think it's peas lake and basically Lord of the Rings, by the way. yeah exactly anyway there's there's this kind of center um and there's like a bus stop and a and a little shop and The little shop does an absolutely massive trade in selling to bikers so everyone congregates at this bus stop and they go in, they buy coffee, they buy, they do very good pork, uh, pork pies, cheese straws, you know, uh, various other things. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. And you see all the, the road bikers, you know, tall, skinny, um, you know, uh, skimpy Lycra. You see the uh, mountain bikers with their kind of baggier clothes and, uh, you know, bit more, oh, bit a bit muddier. Yeah. And then you see the real nutters, the um, the downhillers, with their armor and stuff on. It's just incredible. I didn't even know it existed, and I saw... I saw what they wore, and I thought, "God, you are welcome to that."
1: Yeah, um, I mean, you, you have to try it; it's yeah, um, the runs are specially shaped. It's yeah. it's, it's shredding. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just just sending it. it's, yeah. it's running. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. It. I love no,
0: I still I'm not convinced. But anyway, okay. um, yeah. But anyway, but thank you very much indeed. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah so. so have a have a lovely weekend uh, and hope everyone uh listeners viewers etc have lovely weekends or whatever it is fun have fun whatever you're doing and we'll be back again next week
1: absolutely many thanks, thanks. guys for listening thank you all right
0: bye